Hello and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David and as ever I am joined by the prenuptial Matt. Hello there. I say prenuptial because it obviously it's accurate for this episode but also uh, you're, you've got forthcoming nuptials haven't we're, you? We're getting there, we're yeah. getting close. Yeah, so Hopefully it goes smoother than... Uh... The one in this episode. We'll yeah, fingers talk. crossed, eh? Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, gosh, there are some shenanigans yeah. that happen in this episode. That's putting it lightly. That's <laughs> downplaying it. Okay, so, um, yeah, we're talking about The Runaway Bride today. Christmas special for 2006. Six. Yeah. Yeah, so release Christmas Day 2006. Yeah. So, how was how was your Christmas uh, 13 years ago? 2006. Well, I'd have been 21 yeah. I'd have been at uni, yeah. probably just at home with my parents. I don't know, maybe my big brother was with a girlfriend or partner. Me and my little brother probably at home, having been out Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. None of you settling down to watch uh, Doctor Who that I told no, you? No, no. Uh, no, we'd have been watching some, some old rerun of like An Evening with Freddie Starr or something like that. So, <laughs> given the choice... Now, of watching that or watching this episode, what would you do? God, <laughs> probably Doctor Who. Like, yeah, I can't remember. It was pretty much the first Christmas where my brother's now wife uh-huh. came and spent it with us and our family, and sort of forced us to watch an evening with Freddie Starr. <laughs> oh, it was uh, her choice. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And we were all too polite to say this is this is no fun. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, then I guess what, let's not stop it about the bush. Um, usual scale, good episode, bad episode. Where do, are you ranking The Runaway Bride? I can't remember the last episode I gave this ranking. Uh-huh. I'm going to say good episode, but I don't really know why. Like, <laughs> I really liked it, Yeah, but I couldn't pick out one outstanding moment. I mean, it is objectively incredibly dumb. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> like even by Doctor Who standards, it's a it's a stupid. Yeah. Episode. And like, although Catherine Tate's pretty good throughout, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. There's a lot where she's just shouting. Yes. And it's, like it's... the joke is she just shouts. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Well, and we, when, we'll when, dig when, into that. Like I was reflecting on like Catherine Tate's. I think it was it was just called the Catherine Tate Show. Yes. Yeah. And like she played like such a diverse range. Yeah, she's character. a really accomplished character comedian. And, and her so. character in this is just, she's a bit thick, and then when she gets wound up, she shouts a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll talk more about about the portrayal of, uh, uh, of Donna in this episode. Yeah, I like, I used to strongly dislike this episode. Mm-hmm. Like, strongly. I used to be of the opinion that, oh, no, rubbish, I'm never rewatching that. And then I actually did rewatch it. And I was like, I guess it's all right, but it's still it's really stupid, isn't it? And mm. then um, yesterday, when I was rewatching it, probably only like the, the third time I've ever seen it, I really liked it. Yeah. <laughs> I had a really I, good I time watching when, it. When we talked about Love and Monsters, did we say good episode, mostly bad bits? <laughs> Whereas yeah. this is like a good episode, and I wouldn't say it's mostly bad bits. But I don't think it has any outstandingly good bits. It, no, it's just... It's, it's just like a jaunt, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's breezy. Yeah. It's breezy and just knockabouts. Mm. And, and that used to wind me up, but I actually find it, it's a really nice little palate cleanser, especially mm. coming after um, the Series 2 finale. So, um, yeah, let's, let's uh, get stuck into the uh, sort of meat and potatoes of it, shall we? Yeah. So we start in a church... And it's the aforementioned Donna's wedding day. Yeah. She's walking down the aisle. She begins glowing. Yeah. And But not in the not in the sort of uh metaphorical sense that we often tend to refer to sort of women no. glowing when they're in a particularly happy or memorable. No, she's uh, literally no. luminous. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and she lets out a scream and disappears. Yeah. yeah. And then I don't know whether it's new footage or it's the same it's footage. It's the same footage. Basically, it's, it's basically the end of Doomsday. Yes. Again. Yeah. So basically, what we've done is um, at the end of Doomsday, we saw this situation from the Doctor's perspective. We've yeah. now taken a step back, and we're seeing the moments preceding that from Donna's perspective. Yes. So we get a recap of that scene from Doomsday. Yep. Doctor is surprised. 
there is suddenly a, a Catherine Tate in a wedding dress in yeah. his TARDIS. Most unexpected. So then we get the titles. And yep. we cut back to this scene in the TARDIS. Donna can't really fathom what's going on. And she, think, she thinks Neris did it. Yeah. She thinks Neris, who we do meet later on. We do. She's it's not, not an, an it's unnamed not... character. Well, an unseen uh, named yeah. character. Yeah. So um, Russell T. Davis uh, um, bucking the usual trend there. Yeah. So she thinks her friend, whoever yeah. Neris, yeah. as a prank on a wedding day, yeah. shot her into a spaceship. Yes. I'd um, be really mad if that happens to me. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, like, I mean, it's like, I guess prior to watching this episode, it's not something you would have considered as a likely possibility. No, no. But... I'd be furious. Yeah. See, we've discussed, because my wedding's taking place over the Easter period, Yeah. so one of the wedding favours we're giving everyone is an Easter egg, so everyone's getting a little Cadbury's cream egg. Oh. If somebody gets the white cream egg, that means they win 50 grand. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna punch someone <laughs> at my own wedding. There's a very real chance yeah. that happens. And then from there, Donna shouts a lot. The first of many scenes. Yes. Where yeah. She, she I, I think we can pretty much sort of take that as read for the remainder of this episode. That yeah. in unless otherwise noted, she the will dialogue be will it will be at eleven the whole way through. It's, yeah. Yeah. They sort of replace the Doctor Who trope of running around a bit. With let's just shout, shout at each other. Though to be fair, there is a lot of running around in this episode. There, as well. there is also a lot <laughs> of running around. Um, so after she's had a little rant, she opens the TARDIS door. Yeah. And at that point, they're in. Are they in the time stream or out of space? No, we just they're just floating around in our space. I think you just there see a, a little nebula sort there of popping along, and uh, and ultimately, this is the point where she introduces herself as Donna. Yeah. And figures out that the Doctor is an alien. Yeah. And then, ultimately, she slaps him because she finds Rose's old clothes and she thinks that he's like a predatory <laughs> abductor yeah. of women. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, not a terrible assumption to make given everything that's just happened to her. Yeah. It's it's understandable. Yeah. So she thinks she's yeah. next in a long line of, like, abducted women yeah. Yeah, that he by an alien. Had his way with... I think that's the implication, yeah. or at least that they met a grim end. Already, it's—I mean—it's not been a good, a good sort of ten minutes for Donna. She's kind of already been put through the rigor here. Do you think it's been a good ten minutes of Doctor Who? I enjoy it. I think uh, because it's just it comes because it comes from nowhere, and it does set up an interesting little mystery. Hmm. Um, and it is, as I say, like the, really, I think the whole purpose of this episode is. Well, it's it's interesting because it, it, at times it's trying to distract you from the absence of Rose, and at other times it's reminding you of the absence of Rose. So it's, it's yeah. it has this funny little kind of it kind of has its cake and eats it in that respect. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's a funny, interesting premise. Okay. So yeah. So back at the wedding, Donna's mum thinks Donna's just done it because she's an attention seeker. <laughs> she thinks somehow her daughter's manifested the power yeah. of flight yeah. just as an attention scene. I mean, this is the, this is the point where you realise that however bad Donna is as a character, like or, or as a person, her mother is considerably worse. Uh, we only get glimpses of her, but she is an absolute just piece of work, isn't the thing she? Is, this episode, and I don't want to linger on the past for too long, no. it made me miss Jackie. Yeah. That's the sort of thing Jackie would say. And we'd all have a little laugh and Yeah, you know, you'd we all be like, love Oh her. Jackie, but Oh yeah. Jackie. Yeah. You can't do that with Donna's no. mum because she's just It's just an idiot. Yeah. You know. <laughs> we have we have no affection. Like Jackie was a, a lovable fool, shall yes. we say. Yeah. She was the court jester. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever she was present. Yeah. But she had heart. Here, we've just got some dickhead that can't <laughs> fathom. Actually, this is a bit bigger than what I assume is going on. Yeah, I mean, the fact, the very fact that, I mean, we'll get back to it, but that, that nobody seems, uh, or a lot of people don't seem to be anywhere near as concerned as you might expect about what's happened at that wedding. Mm. It's, it is almost, it almost stretches credulity, I feel like. Yeah. But, but Donna's mum in particular is like, come on, she's your daughter. 
Yeah. No one has any concern yeah. for Donna's welfare. It's just like, oh, for fuck's sake, Donna. <laughs> like, is, is this How really, dare you? Is this really the sort of thing she's normally doing? Yeah. Like, <laughs> they sort of behave as this is like, oh, typical yeah. Donna. Like, she's not... Always meant... learning to fly, <laughs> setting herself on fire, like, and vaporising yeah. through a church If roof. she was a member of the magic circle... Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, if it was... Are you familiar with Arrested Development? The character of Job. I very much am. There you go. Yeah. Like, this is like... They perceive her to be like Job Bluth. As if... Doesn't he trap himself in a rock when he pretends to be Jesus? Or oh, something? I think he does, yes. Yeah. yeah. And everyone just assumes... Oh, typical. Not the case here. <laughs> so, back on the TARDIS. Donna can't believe how big it is. Compared yep. to... It's exterior. She kind of experiences it in reverse. Generally speaking, people see the outside and then they see the That's inside. Right. Yeah. Um, but she's starts out on the inside, and then when they land on Earth, Realizes finally it's steps small. out and yes, and has that whole sort of mind blown scenario. And although we've already covered it in my notes at this point, I've just put Donna shouts a lot, doesn't she? She really does. I think this is where she's at peak shouty. Yeah. To be fair, I mean, the th- this is the thing, like. She is very shouty and it's very one note and it does get grating. But also, in universe, you can understand why. Yeah. Like, this is a stressful situation to find yourself in. So, they're trying to get a taxi back to the wedding. Yeah. They can't because it's Christmas Eve. Yeah. So, everyone's busy. It's double fare. They don't have any money until the doctor uses the sonic screwdriver on a cash machine. He does, yeah. Um, Initially, he does it just to get a bit of cash for Donna, and, uh, yeah. I mean, how do you feel ethically about the Doctor hijacking a cash machine? It's technically I, theft, isn't it? I've, I've done similar in the past. In the, You've got a sonic screwdriver? No, no, no. Once when I lived in Northampton for uni, I tried to get £10 out of a cash machine, and it spewed out, I don't know, £30. Did it? And charged me 10 mm. And I basically withdrew my entire student loan and made a small yet hefty profit. <laughs> and God. then the next day basically went to the bank and with like, I don't know, £1,000 cash. I was like, I need to put this back in. And, and no, no lasting ever came of it. Nothing ever came of it. That's incredible. I, I remember I celebrated by going to the corner shop next yeah. to my house. And rather than just buying four pack of Fosters, I bought Fosters Export. Two pounds more expensive. Yeah, living the high life. Yeah, I also I, bought a Nintendo GameCube with the profits. So. I mean, that, to, to be fair, that, that I can respect. That I can one hundred percent respect. Um, it puts me in mind of, and I, 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 def- I remember the clip. It's like a candid ca- camera clip, and I don't know whether it was like a Noel's house party thing, okay. or a Jeremy Beadle thing. It was one of those kinds of things in the nineties. I remember they did almost like a social experiment. Mm-hmm. They had, a, they rigged up a cash machine where. The second you put the card in, it would just spit out a tenner. Mm-hmm. And then they just filmed watching what people did, you know. And, and yes, people were quite merciless. In, in just like, nobody reported it. I just think, <laughs> which is, you know, you get nothing in life for free. Yeah. So if you do, and, grab it with both hands. And to be fair, you are just stealing from banks. Yeah. It's not. It's not like you're stealing from somebody else's account. Yeah. You're just taking it out of the sort of central. It's like Scroobius Pip says, "Thou shalt not steal if there's a direct victim." It's fine right. here because it's just a bank, and everyone knows from Mary Poppins, banks is just men in bowler hats walking around. Yeah, being snooty. So. Specifically, Dick Van Dyke's. Yeah. No, he was a chimney sweep. He was both. Dick Van Dyke played the uh, the old bank manager. Oh. As well, I was thinking more about is he called Mr. Banks, the father? Oh, oh the father guy, George yeah, yeah. Banks. No, I was thinking is because it, it, it's it's his father's father is it, who is the bank manager, right? At the bank, and that's yeah, Dick that's, that's, that's played by Dick Van Dyke, and I'm pretty sure he also plays. I'll have to double check. I think he also plays the 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 laughing man mm-hmm. in um, every day's a school day. Yeah, learn something new every day. Indeed. Right. Um, so <laughs> back then, on track. My favorite bit of this episode. Mm-hmm. They use a BT phone box. I haven't seen oh, one of yeah. them since about 2006. Yeah, sounds about right, yeah. doesn't it? It's nice, yeah. It? yeah. I'm amazed it worked. Normally they had like the handle 
like receptor cut off. Yeah. Covered you, in graffiti. Or you, you put the coins in and it would just ignore them. Yeah. And there'd like, be a tramp having a piss in it or something like that. Yeah. Never good. But then the doctor realises that there are Santa Clauses wearing masks. Now, where have we seen this before? See, I've written in my notes. This is eerily similar to the Christmas invasion. Uh-huh. Without getting ahead of ourselves, they're the same ones. Yes. Different masks, though. Yeah, yeah. They were slightly more like robotic, Tin Man esque last time. I, I think. think so, yeah. But it's, yeah. Russell T. Davis apparently was like, I've, all, you know, two Christmas specials in, he's already run out of Christmas ideas for yeah. Doctor Who. So, so um, Donna does get in a taxi eventually. Yeah. With one of these evil masked Santa Clauses. That when it pulls its mask off, we see. Sort of an alien head slash robotic head. Yeah, it's like I don't, a robot alien. I don't think we saw them minus mask in Christmas. I invasion. don't think we did. No. So this is a this is a new development. Um, but yeah, so the taxi is now speeding off with uh, Donna in tow, and uh, the Doctor realizes, and back to the cash machine, creates a quick diversion. Yeah. And just makes it just start spewing money. money. Yeah. Right. So we then get. What is probably one of the best bits in this episode? The sort of chase scene, the TARDIS and the taxi. It's very nearly the best thing. I find it is absolutely ruined by one small aspect. I wonder if you can guess what that is. Is it the children that are watching? I cannot fucking stand them. Every time they cut back to those children in the back of that car... I just I I know the I know what they're there for. It's you know yeah. they're audience surrogate. They're you know it's to kind of amp up the drama for the little ones watching at home. I fucking hate them. Mm. I just I don't know what it is, but it just I think every time it cuts back to those children in that car, it just winds me up. I I don't know. I sort of overlooked them. Yeah. I know that they were there throughout. Yeah, but I don't know. I thought yeah. the rest was so. Engaging, it is so, I sort of yeah. didn't acknowledge them at points. Yeah, so but looking beyond that, it is a really good sequence. It's it, it's for, especially given the budget and the time in which it mm. was made. This we've never seen the TARDIS doing anything like this before yeah. in the history of Doctor but Who. It's it it would be easy to go over the top with this, but they mm. keep it. Doctor Who esque in that he's steering it with like a bootlace. Yes, and... yeah, because uh, because basically he's he's um... he's hanging out the door. Yeah, he's chasing he's chasing the taxi in the TARDIS. So we're seeing like the TARDIS in flight on Earth, like hovering just above the level of the cars. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, I say rarely do you see the TARDIS just in flight locally like this. Generally, it is just moving through the time vortex. So mm-hmm. that in itself is interesting. Um, and yeah, because of obviously the console is actually quite a long way away yeah. from the doors. Yeah. He has to, yeah, just like, I think he's just a bit of garden twine or something. <laughs> <laughs> he just rigs up to some of the, the, the components on the console so that he can sort of yank levers whilst, um, whilst extending a handout for Donna. So um, he, he gets Donna to jump. Yeah, after much humming and hawing because, you know, Donna, not unreasonably doesn't fancy just leaping out into the middle of fast moving traffic yeah they're, they're on like an a road so it's going to be 60 70 miles yeah. an hour isn't yeah it? and once she makes it into the tardis they sort of fly off and harking back to the episode of torchwood they just go stand on a roof for a they bit do yeah um again not i mean i guess it's dramatic you get some nice views of london yeah but i don't know like She's quite clearly in shock. I don't yeah, think that's I, the most appropriate approach. I, yeah, I, I'd be maybe taking her to, you know, Cafe Nero's or something. Somewhere Take her to that place Rose always went for chips. <laughs> Just go yeah. for some chips. Yeah, yeah. I guess that would have been too too reminiscent of Rose, maybe. Mm. I don't know. The doctors maybe can't even look at a chip at this point without just a and single seeing, tear. Seeing Billy Piper's face. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so. So while whilst on the roof, the doctor gives Donna a bio dampener ring. Yeah. Um, and that's essentially to sort of mask her bio signal, so yes, these aliens can't keep chasing. Yeah, because obviously they've been they they want her for some reason. There's some connection yeah. with with 
whatever's been going on with Donna. Those, she is somehow a, a commodity of value for these aliens. And I will say this scene on the rooftop, it's the first time that Catherine Tate gets an opportunity to do something other than shout. Yes. We yeah. get to see a bit more subtlety in her acting. Yeah, because it's at this point we get the flashback to how she met her fiancé, Lance. Yeah. Uh, he basically offers to make her a cup of tea. She's a secretary. She can't comprehend that someone's going against like the social structure of office yeah. politics. Yeah, because the thing is, she was saying as well, like, like the place she was working for, H.C. Clements, yes. w- quite an upmarket sort of an office, quite quite snooty people. Mm. Um, and, and she said that Lance was like the only one who seemed down to earth and, mm-hmm. and kind of on her level and willing to treat her as an equal. And then we get, of course, um, the doctor asks, you know, so how long have you been together? Turns out it's only six months. Yes. And um, he says, that's a bit fast. And she says, oh, well, he just wore me down. And then yeah. we, of course, cut to quite a funny montage of oh, her just harassing him. <laughs> like, is that, I is, think, is that it similar open... to how it happened for you and your fiance? No, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> like, with with the gender swap, I eventually broke her down. Um, but this scene sort of opens with her saying, will you marry me? So she's the one that proposes. Yes. And Lance immediately just gets up and runs away as fast as possible. There's like, yeah. it, you see him I, run down like four flights of stairs yeah. to escape. I would take it as a sign. Yeah. But apparently Donna is just, you know, mm. she's... He is fixed in her sights, mm. and uh, there is no letting yeah, go. Because it, it does go on. She definitely... It is borderline harassment. Yes, I mean, it? the implication is that it, it goes on for weeks. Yes. Um, yes. You see them like walking down the street and stuff. Like various different contexts. Um, so... Uh, but anyway, yes, so... It was this whirlwind rom- office romance mm-hmm. culminating in what should have been a beautiful wedding... And yet, at the last second, she's ripped away and pursued by aliens. Now, Lance is so distressed by all this that he just decides to have the reception anyway. And he's <laughs> dancing with Neris. Yeah. Oh, that's low, isn't it? Yeah. At least dance on your own and look sad about it. Yeah. That's the, that's, because that's the when, decent thing to do. When Donna arrives... Obviously, I think we've established at this point she's level-headed and yeah. not the sort of person to shout. Uh-huh. But she goes mental. Yeah, I mean, well... This this is... I know we've said she probably reaches peak shout earlier in the episode, yeah. but she gives it a good run. Here. Oh, she does. I mean, But again, to be fair to Donna in this situation, they had the reception without her. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's fucking disgraceful. Mm. And, it, and it's just like, again, like I get why it's needed for the episode and stuff. I'm just like... Would that ever really happen? Well, my my fiance told me a story, and I really hope they don't hear this. <laughs> of a couple that are actually coming to our wedding, right? Where um, they had the wedding, yeah, and then had a massive fallout, and the groom did not attend his own wedding reception. Good lord! And I just think, grow the fuck up. Yeah, but. <laughs> I don't know. I really hope none of this I shit mean, happens at my wedding. Yeah, uh, that's that's crazy. It's like, but then it's like, have you ever heard the term "sunk cost fallacy"? No. It's this idea that you've paid for something, so you're going to go through with it, whether you enjoy it or not. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you buy concert tickets, and the night before the concert, you get a fucking awful cold. Right, right. right. And you, you know, you, you the whole day you feel like death warmed up. But you still force yourself to go to and, and like have your ears blasted by loud music for an evening when all you actually want to be doing is doing is at home in bed, and you have a miserable time. And afterwards, you think, you know what? I would have paid twenty quid just to stay home in bed. Yeah. Um. So I think there's maybe a bit of that at play there. Like we've already paid for it, we might as well have the respect. But then they're all clearly having a lovely time yeah. without her. Yeah. And in fact, when Donna appears. They're, like, furious at her behaviour. Like, yeah, her mum has, is... like, a subtle dig. 
rants, no sympathy. You know, picks a bit of a fight. Yeah, they just they just all round on it like a pack of animals, and it's like, oh no, what did you do? Why did you do it? What's it? What's going on? And then uh, that sort of culminates in her. At first, you think she's genuinely like just breaking down in tears, mm. and sort of she sort of gives Lance a cuddle and and uh, you know seems to be sobbing away. But then we get that little cut, and you see she gives a little wink to the doctor, mm. which uh, is is interesting. Now the doctor at this point, again, we've talked about phone boxes dating the episode. Uh-huh. He uses a mobile phone to use WAP services. Oh, yes. Do you remember Doesn't... WAP? I do remember WAP. I ha- WAP I think was I had like one... 3G before 3G, wasn't it? Well, it wasn't 3G. It's a thing. It was It was considerably slower and more limited. Yeah. Than that. I had one WAP-enabled phone. I, I had... And it would have been around 2006, actually, that I had it. Yeah. My very first mobile phone. Yeah. And this is how... To age our episode, yeah, it, it was made by a company called Trium. I don't think they even exist I anymore. Have never even heard of them. And yeah, I used to use WAP enabled services to download like polyphonic ringtones. <laughs> I never downloaded a ringtone. I don't think, but I did have um, on one of my Nokia thirty three tens that I had. Uh, there was the option to like compose your own ringtone. Mm-hmm. So I actually. Um, there was a, a particular song that I that I like, and I was just like, I'm just going to like trial and just error. Pi- yeah, trial and error. Compose a couple of <laughs> bars from this song to have as my ringtone. It took me probably at least an hour. I, I can't I can't remember the model of phone. It was definitely a Nokia, but I got it was with the release of the third Star Wars prequel, right? So Attack of the Clones. That is Attack of the Clones. Yes, and. I got a special edition Star Wars Nokia phone wow. when I bought or upgraded my phone. And it had lights down the side that would light up like a disco when your phone rang. That's so futuristic. Yeah, it was amazing. It was irritating if anyone ever sent you a text message <laughs> when you were in bed. Yeah. But, but I yeah, don't... I miss WAP services. I remember I used to play like a... Judge Dread text adventure <laughs> wow. over WAP. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it used to cost me like eight pounds <laughs> per minute or something to do it. The I, I I'll tell you what, I am sometimes weirdly nostalgic for pre smart mm. mobile phones. Because it, it was a simpler time. We we looked at one another more yeah. as a species. Well I I mean, I've talked in the past that I like watching some Let's Play videos. Yeah. Um, but there's one YouTube channel I really like. It's a, I don't even know the guy's real name. It's called Chinny Vision. And he basically plays old British home computers. So I've oh, seen him play lovely. on like an Acorn and a BBC Micro. And, oh, I and, might actually give that a watch. That sounds the, lovely. You know, it's computers that... British schools used to have. Yes. That, yeah. You know, now everything's just literally Windows, but you, every school would have different computers. My my first uh, my first uh, exposure to computers was a BBC Micro. Mm. I think mine school. probably would have been. Yeah. I mean, and to be fair, we were at the tail end of that, so they were old computers by yeah. the time we were getting I into mean, like I, second. I have school. sort of a love for like redundant old technology. Yeah. You know, I like it when things would be like huge big machines and now literally no longer. Yeah. I mean, we say that sat in my room that's got my PlayStation 1, my PlayStation 2 and my SNES hooked up. So, <laughs> Yes. Um, but anyway, we're getting sidetracked yeah, again. Yeah. So... We're nostalgic <laughs> about old technology. Getting all misty-eyed. So it, he's using this to research H.C. Clements, where yeah. Donna works. He suspects that's not all it's made up to be, and he sort of soups it up with the sonic screwdriver, doesn't he? Like he's like he, he gets yeah. he has limited patience for WAP. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, gives it a little zap, and then he watches the wedding video of where Donna's warped, and realizes it's Huon particles. Yeah. Have we discussed those before? Oh, I should give it a look up at some point. I don't actually know off the top of my head whether Huon Particles ever feature in uh, any classic Doctor Who. Certainly not, nothing in the new series up until well, this point. Am I right in thinking it's the type of radiation that essentially powers the TARDIS? 
No, that's Artron energy. That's Artron energy, right. Because there's an explanation later on where the reason she lands on the yeah. TARDIS yeah. is there's Huon energy within the TARDIS. Yeah, there is. And they're there like is some, polar but, opposites yeah. and yeah. she's attracted to I think the, the, I think, yeah, there is some, but like I say, his, historically I think it's like Artron energy is like the main type of energy yeah. that the the, uh, the TARDIS generates. Um d- Nobody knows how the TARDIS fully works. Yeah. That's never yeah. fully explained. And if they ever did try to fully explain it, that knows. would just... He knows enough to get by. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, th- I think that's part of the charm. Like You look at someone like Star Trek, and there are people who know, who can tell you exactly how mm-hmm. a Starfleet ship operates. Knows, know, who know the engine rooms inside out, and what everything does and how it relates to everything else. The TARDIS isn't like that, and long may that continue. Because I think the second you explain too much in Doctor Who, you you break it. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. So, um, well, yeah. whilst he's researching who on particles, yeah, they look out the window, and in my notes, I've put all the Santas approach, and by yeah. that I mean the budget probably only stretched to two Santa costumes. Because whenever they look out of any window, there's only ever two of them at any is one it, time. There's three at one point, isn't there? I think there is initially, but one of them was the taxi driving one. Yeah. And then when they look out the window, at the most, there's three. Because I've put they come two by two, like Noah's <laughs> are. Fair dues, yeah. Yeah, there, there, there aren't many of them. And uh, the ones that are outside the main window, one of them has got uh, a big old remote control. Yeah, <laughs> like he's about to like get a, like a little remote controlled monster truck. Start yeah, doing it, tricks. It's the sort of remote if you piloted like drones nowadays, yeah. you'd use. But in two thousand and six, like you say, remote controlled cars, children's toys. Uh, if you were a Robot Wars contender, oh, you'd yeah. definitely be busted out something like that. Uh, but anyway... I feel like we talk about Robot Wars every week. Why didn't we do a podcast about Robot Wars instead of Doctor Who? You know what? I'd be happy to do that. If yeah. you ever want... It, once we wrap this one up, yeah. more than happy to go right back to Series 1. I'll, <laughs> I'll even stomach Jeremy Clarkson in order to talk about Robot Wars. Anyway. <laughs> so, once the Santas start to approach... The remote control operates like the Christmas trees. We've seen those before in Christmas Invasion. Yes, but this Christmas tree operates in a different fashion. The, in the Christmas Invasion, it span its branches round, and we presume yeah. that they were sort of actually razor sharp, mm-hmm. unbeknownst to anyone at the time. In this case, it's the baubles. Yes. So the baubles sort of levitate from it, fly away. Yeah, they're like and... little floating grenades. Yeah, they're explosive, aren't they? Yeah. So, yeah, this poor wedding reception gets terrorised by baubles. Does it, though? Like, it's, it's more like a minor inconvenience. I they, think they, people they overreact panicked. a but, lot. Yeah, they, they panic, but, yeah, there's no sign of any physical injury. Yeah. I, I, do they even explode? They do explode. Right. You see them, like, shoot down and go, boom, but they are tiny little explosions. It'd just be like, it'd just be like being hit by a tennis ball. Yeah. Like, I think there's... They're one step... On Malcolm in the Middle, right. it might be a Christmas episode where they ruin Christmas because they realise if they throw the baubles really hard at each other, they just explode. <laughs> I imagine it's just like that. It might yeah. sting a bit. Yeah, they're basically one step up from the, you know those little bits of paper with like gunpowder yeah. in it that you can chuck on the floor? Yeah. Like one step up from that. And then the Doctor puts his sonic screwdriver in like the PA system, the DJ's sound yeah. system. Yeah. And shuts everything down. Yeah. He just uh, frazzles those robots. And then, I'm not really sure how he reaches this conclusion. But he just notices there's something in the sky. Just all of a sudden he goes, there's something in the sky. I don't remember this bit. Yeah, Yeah. I'll take your word for it. Um, And then, when we look up, it's like a star-shaped... Does that appear at that point? Yeah, I think it's the first time we see it. Ah. And it, it's like a star-shaped vessel yeah. that's... I don't know if you see it from the outside, but certainly on the inside has spider webbing yeah. throughout. Yeah. And you see sort of... I don't think you see the full alien at this point. You but just you see, see the, the claw. Yeah, like you the see appendage. the end 
of what yeah. we assume is one of its limbs, yeah. and it's just a piercing claw. Yeah, and you hear you hear that you hear it speak, and it's a female voice, but quite quite sort of whispery and that. Yeah, sinister. And, and but sinister in a Saturday morning cartoon villain yes. way. Yeah. It's it's not subtle. Um, yeah. I I are you sure it's not just that we cut away to to it and it's just I think it's still just floating out in the outer atmosphere I don't mm. think it's visible from Earth at this point right I'm pretty sure I'm not sure anyway but anyway <laughs> you, you, you certainly see it hovering yeah. looming over Earth and then you see uh, a little bit inside so right so H.C. Clements are owned by Torchwood we find out at this Ooh. point yeah now I thought we were done with all these nods to Torchwood. We've literally watched Torchwood now. But no, apparently not. Right, that's good. <laughs> yeah. And then, like I say in my notes here, I've got Huon Energy powers the TARDIS. Yeah, so I, I, it must just be like something that he mentions. I, it could be like an auxiliary. Yeah, I, well, I would say like it's. I think it's not. I don't think it's a case that Huon Energy is like petrol is to a car. Yes. I, I think it's just like one of myriad yeah. m- mysterious yeah. ways in which the TARDIS operates. Yeah. It's probably not meant to be dissected in the way that we're looking at Almost it. Almost certainly. <laughs> yeah. uh, like I say, they express that Huon Energy has positive and negative polar charges. Yeah. The opposite of charge is what's attracted Donna to the TARDIS. And we work out that H.C. Clement they go to the building to investigate, and it has a secret basement that needs a key. Yeah. So this is where we have like a long extended scene where they search for a key. Yeah. No, it's not because he just sonic screwdrivers it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to be yeah. fair, the sonic screwdriver is exactly like more than anything else. It is used as basically a skeleton key to open any door. Yeah, That's but- its. They spend ages going, oh, there's a, we need a key. How how can anyone get in this basement? <laughs> like, there's no need for that dialogue if yeah. you're just going to break in. It's magic wand it. Yeah. Anyway. Save money on the budget, just put a, a wooden door. They had an hour to fill. Now, <laughs> to break with convention, rather than run about, they go on segways. They do. Bit of fun, isn't it? Not for the owner and inventor of Segways. Oh, I, do you I, know how he died? I do know how he died. It's quite tragic. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, it's so ironic that you can't help but find it funny, but it is still a man's death we're talking about. Segwayed his way off a cliff. He did, yeah. Yeah. In order to make room for a couple who were walking their dog. Really? Yeah. He oh. was just trying to be polite, but he went about it in a very stupid and ultimately fatal fashion. I feel a bit more sorry for him now. Yeah. I think it's well documented. We love dogs. We do love dogs. They're better than people. Yeah. He made the ultimate sacrifice for that dog. (laughs) Just so that dog wouldn't have to move around his Segway. Yeah. So, following (laughs) an extended Segway journey, they find like a laboratory that's making liquid Huon particles. And... The doctor suggests yeah. that Donna is prime sort of incubation for these particles simply because of all her mental hormones. Okay, no, specifically, he's saying that she's been dosed for a long period of time mm-hmm. with these Huon particles for how we don't know. Well, she, she's been imbued with them in yeah. some fashion. Well, it'll be for six months, isn't it? I don't know that he specifies that. I don't think we've quite gotten to that reveal okay, yet. Yeah. But basically, for whatever reason, she is saturated with these Huon particles. And it was the combination of that... Uh, because they were basically lying dormant within her. But it was <laughs> the sort kind of emotions and hormones and everything else as a result of it being her wedding day. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why it culminates at the exact point that she's walking down the aisle. It's like, you know, it's this... this kind, you know, reaching that peak. And that's the point which it kind of triggers... And because it kind of seeks out that connection to the TARDIS, all of a sudden she's zapped up into the TARDIS. Bitches be crazy. In other words, yes. So, (laughs) once they've sort of sussed all this, the robots from the Robot Santas reveal themselves. Yeah. And Lance just legs it. 
He's so brave. Yeah, he's a I real can, real catch, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, I can see what Donna sees in him. He <laughs> just cheeses it. And this is the point where the villain of the episode reveals itself. Well, uh, at first she's talking over the intercom, isn't she? Yes. And then the Doctor like demands a face-to-face. He says, I don't want to talk to a, to a, um, a screen. Come mm. and face me. And credit to her, she does. Should and we so, just talk about the design here? Because I think okay. this is one of the better looking aliens we've yeah, seen. Yeah, definitely. Like, so, so we're talking about the Empress of the Rachnos. Yes. And t- in brief, giant red spider lady. Yeah. She's mostly spider, but then like sort of centaur style. She's got a human-ish torso up, but then a great big sort of spider head with like Additional eyes. And... I know uh, our friend Roy will never forgive me for not knowing this, but certainly in D and D, the Drow, the Dark Elves, there's a subcategory of those where it's arachnid bodies with sort of dark yeah. elves sat above them. Likewise, the villain Mojo from X Men comics, oh, arachnid yeah. at the bottom, yeah. Yeah. or my favourite, the villain from Wild Wild West, the Will Smith. Oh film. God, yeah, yeah, because he's yeah, like loveless ro- robot. <laughs> Spider-Man, yeah, like isn't steampunk. He? Yeah, yeah. That it doesn't hold up, does it? I've not. I. I, the I song went, definitely does. Yes, uh, I went to see it at the cinema. I think I um, did. I think so. But I've never revisited it. It's it's one of those films where it's like a mid nineties family action film. Yeah, and there was a whole spate of them. They were never any good. Yeah, but I I remember enjoying it at the time. Is the thing possibly just because it was like. Wild West steampunk, and that's something mm. I had never seen before. And just that kind of setting was enough to mm. paper over the fact that the plot was shit, the acting was shit, <laughs> yeah. and and then, and then the of course soundtrack was exactly. Banging. But then you end on a Will Smith rap, and you're going home with a smile on your face. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's how he like carved a path for himself. I think it is. Men in Black One was good, wasn't it? Again, yeah. I've not seen it since the 90s, so I, I can't say for definite. Yeah, Men in Black 1. And then... What else was he in? I'm not Bad Boys. Man. Bad Boys. There's two great Will Smith films. I've never seen them. Oh, man. I'm not a much of a Michael Bay aficionado like you. I, when, obviously, working in a school a few years ago, a yeah. student that I'm still in touch with, quite a disaffected young man, wasn't having the easiest time. Uh-huh. Whenever he walked past me in the corridor would just say, ride together, die together, and then I'd be expected to say bad boys for life. It was oh, like well, that's nice. the only way I could hook him into education. <laughs> so thanks, Will Smith. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. You're, you're getting a young man on the right path there. Mm. But <laughs> I think Empress of the Rachnos, probably the best looking alien we've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, certainly one of the most out there alien alien it, designs. It's a and... step above... Just a bloke in a rubber suit. Isn't yeah, it? definitely. And that's definitely. pretty much what we've seen so far. Yeah. Now they've spent some money on it, and it looks pretty good. Um, mm. I do feel incredibly sorry for the actress playing the Empress of the Red. It cannot be comfortable. It. I mean, I'm. I don't know if it's a case that they superimposed her body onto the big if, if spider. She, if it's practical bit. effects, and she's in there, her back is arched at such an angle. Yeah. Like, oh. No, I dread to think. I think there must be an element of compositing going on there. I would like, hope I think, so. I think it is all practical. I don't think there is any CGI there. And, and you know, hats off to them for, for doing that. Mm. But, yeah, and then also, like, she's got these great big fangs. Mm-hmm. And, like, yes, she's doing a very hammy performance, but those fangs must make it impossible to do anything more subtle than yeah. that. And, <laughs> you know, 2006, she's got full black eye contact lenses in. Oh god. They no, can't, can't be comfortable. No. Yeah. So So yeah. Hats fair, off to her. Fair play. Hats yeah. off to her. Okay. So once she appears she's in conversation with the doctor. Yeah. And we see Lance reappear. And he's and got he's, an axe. He's got an axe. He's, he's it's all of a sudden we thought Lance was just a coward. Turns out he's, he's gonna a hero. He's gonna save the day. And that's the end of the episode. He saves the day. Yeah, yeah. He hacks her legs off one by one. Yeah, and uh, but it turns out he's evil as well. Yeah. Did you see that twist coming? I 
think when I saw him creep up with the axe, because I, I just assumed prior to that he'd just run off. Yeah, and he thought, but, but, like, he was at best, like, neutral. He was just a... Yeah. Uh, I just thought he was lily livered. Yeah. yeah. But it was almost too good to be true yeah. that he was going to sneak up with an axe. And then, Also, it's not really the Doctor Who way, is it? We don't just straight up... Yeah, we've never seen someone, like, hack the legs off. <laughs> you know? Yeah, a villain. Yeah. yeah. So I, I wait for the day that we did. You know, <laughs> when, when we were talking about Torchwood and the swearing yeah. is so the out blood. of the Doctor Who way of doing things. Yeah. If we just saw someone just cleaving aliens apart with an axe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, so we get this reveal that he's actually been working uh, in cahoots with the Empress of the Ragnos. And he's, at this point, he's obviously to sort of entrench how evil he is. Yeah. He starts being really horrible to Donna. Yeah. But I, it almost crosses a line. I think it's it's almost uncomfortable how unpleasant he is to Donna. Well, I think that's intentional. That like mm. you just he's you at that point you're meant to have zero sympathy for this man. Yeah. Because yes. Donna might be a slightly annoying person, but there is no She's got way. A good on... heart. Exactly. There's no way on earth she deserves. And that's know... it. The only sort of real positive we've seen of her character is how enamoured she is with him. Yeah, she seems like a genuinely sort of loving, hopeful person. Like, and mm. and we've seen her as well on the worst day of her life, mm. and she's still basically keeping it together. Like she's cross. But she's not gone to pieces. No. Um, so, which is to her credit. But yeah, and then uh, Lance, it turns out, he basically had to he had to select a victim mm-hmm. to, to dose with these human particles over the course of about six months. Um, he thought Donna would be an easy mark. Didn't expect being proposed to her, mm. uh, uh, by her. Um, and realised that he was going to have to just keep going through with it just to, to keep her... On the hook, as it were. Um, and yeah, now that it's been revealed and he doesn't have to worry anymore, he just, he really lays into her. Yeah. Um, it's real hurtful. Yeah. But as we've sort of mentioned earlier, over the course of their relationship, he's effectively been spiking her tea. Yeah. That's the reason she sort of fell for him, was that he yeah. was kind enough to make a tea. Turns yeah. out he was dosing it with Huon energy. And you, you know, you've said this, and I've literally just had a horrible thought passing through my head. Every time we come here, you always very kindly make me a cup of tea. Yep. I, I don't stick around. I don't know what you put in that tea. No. You come up here and get set up. And... Yeah, because I'm a naturally trusting person. You could be dosing me with anything. When... Again, I feel like we're going off on a lot of tangents today. That's right. But uh, growing up, we used to spend a lot of time at one of my friend's house in particular. His mum was hardly home uh-huh. that often. So we would quite often, if we were going to have a sleepover, it would be at his house. Yeah. And just outside his kitchen door was a small stagnant pond. And quite often when we used to make each other tea, someone would get, you know... Cause we're friends we trust each other <laughs> so you'd take a sip and realise all of a sudden it was like full of frog spawn and stuff so, vile. horrible horrible oh times. dear just young young boys are awful aren't they yeah I can't believe I've made one I, I can remember I've, I've brought a new one into this world at, at the same house I remember daring this was one of my other friends so not yeah. even n- neither of us owned this house yeah but I bet him he couldn't run and jump through a second floor window. So he ran as fast as he could, Jesus jumped, Christ. held his hands on the second floor window, but his legs swung straight through and smashed the ground floor window. Oh my god. <laughs> Just like <laughs> That's ridiculous. The good old days of my youth. And I feel so uh, sorry now. Yeah. I know. Anyway, I feel like this is like a church confession. <laughs> We're just in nostalgic mood today, <laughs> yeah, aren't we? Like, it's the first proper nice day of sunshine for summer. Yeah, like, I know, it's put us in a funny funny old mood. Anyway. So, so the Doctor realises if the TARDIS was able to summon Donna, based on this sort of magnetic principle, yeah. he could use Donna to summon the TARDIS. Yeah. So Just he, reverses the process, basically. Yeah. yeah. So he does so, they board the TARDIS, 
and then they go further back than the Doctor has ever been. I think that's an exaggeration. Yeah, like I mean, you know, Classic Who better than I do, but I'm uh, sure. Well, I'm, has he ever been further back than the dawn of time? Well, but the thing is, it's we're talking about the dawn of our particular our solar system. Yeah, so there are older 13, so- 14 billion yeah, years ago. There must have been older solar systems um, than ours. Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of anything specific off the top of my head, but it seems strange to me. I feel like he's just saying that to show off. Because we know this is something the Doctor does. Yeah. He when he's when he's doing his spiel, he loves that TARDIS of his, and he loves boasting about how, you know, yeah. the, the places it can go. So yeah. But anyway, no, it is interesting though. We get to see the formation of the universe. We also we always get always crosses the line into entertainment, doesn't it? A little bit. In how it, it kind of it, 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 he explains the birth of the solar system and how planets are formed by dust and gravity mm-hmm. just sort of pulling it together and slowly forming. Yep. And we see the formation yep. of planet Earth. And there is a little bit of a wrinkle yeah. in the formation of planet Earth. Because it turns out the core of planet Earth is a Ragnar ship. Yeah. So, uh, interesting. So, he doesn't yet have the full picture, but he's mm. got another piece of the puzzle there. Um, so, is it revealed at this point that the Ragnos were defeated in some sort of war? I think possibly they were casualties of the Time War. Possibly. I can't remember now. And essentially, to survive... They hibernate almost within the Earth yeah. till they have enough Huon particles yeah. to re-establish and then their Yeah, society. so basically, in, the key is being a theme of this episode. Donna is the key yeah. to um, reforming the Ragnos Empire. And, mm-hmm. you know. So, because Donna's no longer around, the Empress promises to make Lance the new key. Yeah, and he does like a real good comedy turn here, where clearly he doesn't want that to happen, and he sort of does like the comedy gulp and may as well pull yeah. at his collar like, <laughs> to show how yeah. stressed he is at yeah. that proposition. Yeah, he's suddenly second guessing whether it was a brilliant idea to uh, side team... with a giant spider monster alien. <laughs> yeah. So Donna then gets kidnapped and her particles activated, and. New Ara- new Ragnos, sorry, awaken. Yes. In the sense that we see down a really big deep hole. Oh yes, they, we haven't really mentioned, have we? Yeah, there's like this tunnel to the core of the earth. Yeah. Which is obviously, that's why we wanted to find out what was at the core. And as they awaken, yeah. Lance is just fed to them. So he's yes. sort of bound oh, in yeah, spider yeah. web above this hole. Along, uh, yeah, and... Uh... When the Doctor and Donna are pulled back, they then Donna gets captured and also mm-hmm. uh, strung up in the webs. So, so yeah, so Lance just goes tumbling down the hole, never um, to be seen again. Yeah, R.I.P. Lance, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> he might he might be all right. I he mean, might come def- back. Definitely won't. Definitely won't. Strange anyway. things happen in the Doctor Who universe. So, um, and then the spaceship at the core of the Earth, sort of begins again. And... I think they're basically hatching. Yeah. It's basically and... the, 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 the Ragnos babies, like she refers to them as her babies, yeah. are starting and to hatch. It starts to destroy. the. Well, it certainly has a huge impact on the Earth's surface. Oh, yes. Yeah, no, it's... It, it, so there are two ships, aren't there? There's the one at the centre of the Earth, and then there's also the one that the Empress has been using. Yeah. She just... Just for shits and giggles, I guess. Just starts blasting yeah. Earth. I guess the idea is that she doesn't want her babies to have to share with yeah. humans, so she's just going to wipe out the humans so she can reclaim the Earth as the new heart of the Ragnos Empire. Um, so yeah, it starts just blasting random bits of London, and you get that moment where people th- at first think that the Ragnos ship is a beautiful Christmas star. Yes. Until it starts, <laughs> it starts hailing people. lightning down at people. So there you go. What one new Christmas idea from uh, Russell T Davis for this yeah. one? I look forward to seeing it again next year. <laughs> so in amongst the crowd of robots, the robots from the robot Santas, yeah. we find out the Doctor has disguised himself as one of them. Yeah. Sneaky. And then a hark back to the Rose episode, the first episode with yeah. the Rose. 
Donna does a big dramatic swing. Yeah. To save the day, but just falls off. <laughs> yeah. Unlike Rose, did not get her bronze medal for gymnastics. Yeah. And the Doctor has seized the huge remote control from earlier yeah. and shuts down the robots. Yeah. Now, there's a sort of sensible, big Doctor Who question I need to ask. Okay. So, I think in conversation with the Ragnos Empress, she asks where the Doctor's from. Yeah. Is this the first time we've acknowledged Gallifrey in the new series? I don't oh. think... I, I'm aware of it just through conversation with yeah, you. Yeah. I don't think it's been mentioned. I think it that, could be right there. I think it's never been mentioned by name. I think yeah. he's talked about his planet, yeah. his people. I don't think we've ever heard the well, term Gallifrey no. as. I think he might be right. The title of his planet. That's exciting. Yeah. So we're it getting another stuck out a little bit yeah. for me because I just thought, like obviously, like I say, I know what it is. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where if you start getting stuck into the fandom in any way you're, yeah. you, you... I don't know whether we've maybe heard it in the classic Who that we've watched. We maybe wouldn't have yet, the... no. Because right. they, um, they won't have even used the word Time Lord. Uh, oh, really? Yet. The first time Time Lords are mentioned by name is uh, the final uh, Patrick Troughton story. Okay. War games. Prior to that, they're never given a name. We knew that he came from another planet and had his own species. And we actually, the first time you meet a Time Lord is in an episode um, of the William Hartnell era called The Time Meddler. Right. So where, where we meet a character known as the Meddling Monk, sometimes just the Monk, who right. is another Time Lord, who kind of meddles. He meddles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He has he has scant regard for history. Um, mm. And uh, but he they they never men- he's never mentioned as a timeline they never name his his race mm-hmm. so I don't know when Gallifrey is first mentioned in the classic series maybe not until the Pertwee era right because even in the war games they don't call it Gallifrey they call them Time Lords but I don't think they mention yeah, Gallifrey I, then I think it's the first time we've heard it yeah. I'd love to be proven wrong but... no I think you might be right so using the remote control. And I don't think we've acknowledged this. The lab that they've discovered is under the Thames Barrage. Yeah. So the Doctor uses the bauble bombs from earlier, causes an explosion that floods the hole. That yeah. goes down to the Chekhov's baubles. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't think if even if you put all the water in the Thames, I don't think it would reach the centre of the Probably not. Or it would, or the radiation and pressure would just cause it to evaporate straight away and come <laughs> thank, back up. Thank you for ruining this, this episode and then of as it rose, yeah. it would probably cool and condense and then fall back down and we'd just have like a stream of steam. Basically. Well, that's not what happens in this universe. No. It, what happens in this universe is the Doctor murders an entire species. That's right. Again. He, he drowns them to death, commits <laughs> genocide. Yep. Uh, I mean, let's be, let's be clear. Not the first time. And and he's he's loving it. The Doctor's... He's really proud of it. Well, I don't know that he is. Until he just, Donna tells him to stop. Well, he has... It's actually become quite an iconic shot. It's one of those ones that's been gift and gets mm-hmm. passed around a lot. Of just um, the Doctor stood on this little platform overlooking this, this barrage of water. Um, like, you know, it's like just like droplets flying everywhere and he just has this grim expression on his face mm. just like there's there's somehow flames <laughs> licking up in the background yeah. whilst also it's barreling water and yeah he looks just miserable but with like grim purpose mm-hmm. that's the expression it's like I don't like doing this but I have no choice so once Donna tells him to stop the yeah. Empress teleports away back to yeah. her ship. And as the ship sort of stops firing at Earth, yeah. the army fire upon it. Yes. Based on orders from Mr. Saxon. Yeah. Is he relevant? Um well he's Is it a wait and see thing? It's a wait and see. Thing. Right. Yeah. We've not heard the name Mr. Saxon. No, I, I didn't know if he was from Unit or some Old. No, I don't think so. Is that going to be the new bad wolf, Mr. Saxon? I hope not. <laughs> but whilst they're firing at it, I also thought it was quite funny. A lot of the shells miss. 
Yeah, where are they going? <laughs> London suburbs. Yeah, who knows how many Walford. innocents have... Uh, the East Enders <laughs> just destroyed by... <laughs> by friendly fire. Yeah. Yeah. And we find out at this point they've drained the Thames. Oops. All the Thames has gone to the centre. And, and I love that that's just played as a gag. Yeah. There's no lasting... Huge, <laughs> like, implications. Yeah, like, a lot of... There's a lot of, like... Like, port trade and stuff takes place... Yeah. On the Thames. Ecosystems. We've had whales swimming up the Thames before. <laughs> yeah, there would definitely be knock-on effects. Yeah. But, uh, hey-ho. All right. <laughs> so, Donna is taken home by the Doctor. Yeah. And as a little Christmas treat, he makes it snow for her. Yeah. He's Apparently, the scientist has a special make-it-snow button. I assume it's snow. It could just be ash from, like, a disintegrated spaceship. Yeah, it's probably not actual snow, is it? Mm. Yeah. And he invites her along to become his new companion. Yeah. And she says no. Yeah, which is a shame. Because, I, I I don't know. I think... I mean, you're unlikely to get someone like Catherine Tate for a whole series. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think my ears could take it. It's <laughs> <laughs> a but, lot of shouting. I don't know. So I, Over the course of that episode, like, especially the last time watching it, I kind of warmed to her. Mm. And I think there could be some interesting character growth there, but it, it's almost as though it was just to go back to my favourite yeah. character, as if Jackie had become like the companion. Yeah, They're not entirely dissimilar. Yeah, I mean she's a bit younger, but she's you know similar in character. Yeah, kind of bolshy and mm. and stuff. Like that. So it would have been from a, 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 it certainly for this episode it makes for a different dynamic, mm. uh, which is quite refreshing. Um, but yeah, it's you know, Catherine Tate is at the height of her kind of fame, you know, with her sketch show and everything else at this point. So she was a big name. She was like the big draw. And actually, the producers were on record as saying like her appearance in this episode was one of the only secrets they ever managed to actually keep during oh, the production. Because really? for that initial scene that they shot for the end of series two, they like smuggled her into Cardiff, like oh. drove her in like under a blanket and shot that scene with like a skeleton crew of like four people on set mm-hmm. so that when it came to that episode airing it was a big surprise and the big reveal was like oh tune back in for Christmas Catherine Tate's in an episode yeah. so and I think whilst it is quite one note I do think they do play to her strengths yeah as an actor and that makes it fun because I'm not the world's biggest Catherine Tate fan because uh, I find I found her sketch show a bit bit too reliant on repetitive mm-hmm. catchphrases and things like that, which, unless you're the fast show, don't yeah. do that. But anyway, we, uh, we're obviously going to have a different companion for Series 3 instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she, instead of saying coming, uh, she'll come along, she invites him to Christmas dinner. Yeah. And uh, he tries his best to sneak off. Yeah. But then there's another point I just want to raise. Yeah. We see the TARDIS just blast off into space. I hate this, I hate this, I hate have, this, I hate have this. Have we ever seen this? No! Every time I've seen it move, even if it's moving through space rather than time, yeah. it just fades out of view. Yeah. It, yeah. it dematerializes. We, we've That's seen how the TARDIS works. Where it was trapped between two shipping containers and it needed to turn 90 degrees, yeah. it literally fades out of view, rotates. Yes, because, well, because as I say, what it does is it materialises and dematerializes. Mm. That is how the TARDIS works. Yes, if it's travelling not... If it's travelling just in space, as a, as we saw earlier in the car chase scene, it can move along in, mm-hmm. a, in, a, in a... But in a clunky fashion. It's not a fucking rocket ship. Yeah. Whereas here, it's just like, blammo! Yeah, I hate it. I think it's just... An editor was just bored or something. Yeah. Oh! No, it... Oh. Uh, it's such a sour note to end up for me because it just it it just Doctor Who is not great at internal consistency Mm -hmm. but at least try yeah they're not even trying here yeah it's uh, it's jarring (laughs) it is right oh well (laughs) overall though like I say this time was the first time I think I properly enjoyed watching this episode Mm. And I don't know whether it was a fluke, whether next time I watch it, I'll hate it again. But yeah. it, it, it's fine, it's isn't it? It's not one I can see myself rushing back to watch, but it was okay. As a, as a bit of a romp, as a bit of a panic cleanser. 
Yeah. It's as something a bit different. It was nice. Yeah. So. It was better than Tomb of the Cybermen. Oh, you wash your mouth out. <laughs> it was. Come on. It made <laughs> sense for starters. I mean, did it? You were just picking apart the whole nonsense about draining the Thames and... Yeah, but... It doesn't make that much more sense than Tomb of the Cybermen in the grand scheme. If I had to watch it, either of those again, I ain't watching Tomb of the Cybermen. Oh, I'm going to get you. Sooner or later, I'm going to pick the right classic Who story and you're going to love it. Okay. But, you know, that's a long way off. We've got Series 3 to get through first. Yeah. So next week, uh, tune in to hear us talking about Smith and Jones, the yeah. first proper episode of Series 3 of Doctor Who. Yeah. Um... So until then, thanks very much for listening and cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.